The following podcast contains strong language. Hello, and welcome back to the Cine Rambles podcast. You're listening to Nick and Andrew, and we'll be talking all things film for the next hour or so. So, how have we been? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, we saw Call of the Wild. Yep, which we'll be reviewing. about two hours ago. Yep, it's all right, fresh on the mind to talk about. We've got plenty to say. Yeah. Uh, also, Underwater, I've seen early this week, which we'll be talking about. So I haven't seen that. No, so that but, I've, on you. but it does link into your discussion on Cosmic Horror. So I think yes. you'll have some input, hopefully, yeah. towards the end. Yeah. Cool. And then well, you've also got a, a new segment for us. Yeah, That's hopefully, if we've got time, That's we're going it. to do... A fundamental. Ooh, <laughs> hey. We need to make jingles for that. Yeah. So some follow-ups to last episode, when we were talking about cosmic horror, I found out, um, doing some research on my own the other night, there's another, there's a German adaptation of Colour Out of Space uh, for 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, I found they it's shot in black and white, but where the colour, the only colour in it is the colour from outer space, which I think is an interesting way around it. That's actually genius. Yeah, because then in this these this sort of this world, it, it really is this colour outside their spectrum, and then it, that makes it alien. That's actually incredible. That's, yeah. that's genius. I'm going to see that now. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's got about a thousand or so votes on IMDb, so it's not too obscure, but I'm, I want to track down a copy of that now, because that sounds like a really good way around it. Yeah, like genuinely, that that's one of the only ways I can really think to fix that problem. Mm. Yeah, that, that's good, right? Maybe yeah. we can do a little... <laughs> The new Nicolas Cage one comes out, maybe we could yes. try and watch both and compare them, yeah. potentially. I, I take it it's in German. Yes, I think so. That's, okay. I think that's what it said, yeah. Um, and otherwise, in film news, I found out there's a new Little Shop of Horrors film. Oh, is there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, with Chris Evans has now been cast as the dentist, Oren Scrivello. Okay. Yeah. Which, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> but I, I mean... I saw this, it was on Empire, on the articles, they like, oh yes, Chris Evans has been cast in a new Little Shop of Horrors. And I was like, sorry, there's a new Little Shop of Horrors? Don't, <laughs> don't, don't let that one scoot past. What do you mean there's a new one? It is a film, then. Yes, I think, I, it, I He's wasn't... not just going to be in the play or whatever. No, 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 they're making a new film adaptation. Apparently, um, I think it's Scarlett Johansson and... And Robert Downey Jr. No, I can't remember who it was, uh, who they've been considered for Seymour and um, Audrey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of in early stages of talks. But I I'm think... guessing it won't be a musical then. Well, that's the thing, because it's... I mean, the, the article wasn't clear. I looked at yeah. the Hollywood Reporter, which was the original source for it. Yeah. It didn't specify, but it mentioned the musical in terms of, like, you know, where the films come from. So I assume, yeah, yeah. maybe, it might. maybe they're going to do, like, a CGI remake of it, which scares me as a concept. But... Yeah. The puppet's so good. Well, that's the thing, because I've read a lot of stuff about the original puppet, and it's genuinely like a, a work of, of almost magic, the stuff they did with yeah. just practical effects. Like, the amount of work and effort that went into that original puppet was so incredible. Having, having like... I haven't seen the whole film recently, but I was looking up just some bits of Audrey, and, you know, like the puppetry is incredible, like, especially the mouth movement and how it sings so incredibly well. Like, and that's just... Weird to think how good yeah. it is. Also, there's like um, specifically in the um, feed me song number. Yeah, there's several parts what where he essentially did it like almost like a live action stop motion, and to have like um, Rick Moranis essentially act like frame by frame with the plant, and it still looks convincing when spelled like that's such a talent, and would take so much time and preparation to get right. 
Wow. But yeah, it's like there's so many things like that in the original, which I think is just really fascinating. Speaking of Rick Moranis. Oh, yeah. He, they're rebooting Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yes, I did see this. He's coming back. Oh. <laughs> which is a thing, I guess. I guess, yeah. How old is he? He must be pretty old now. He must be 50, 60 odd, I'd imagine. Yeah. Surely, yeah. He hasn't been in anything in ages, has he? No, I thought he's sort of like semi-retired almost. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's that about wraps up for the, the news section. Um, but cool. also, if, if anyone has any comments or questions they'd like read out on the show, you can drop us a comment on YouTube or send us an email at cinerambles at gmail.com and we can discuss it in this section before we start reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now, on to Call of the Wild. Yes. So what was your initial reaction then? Okay, so overall, I thought it's no high art. No. But I thought, for what it was... It was actually quite... It was an entertaining little bit of yarn. Flawed, but considering it's about a dog that just goes on like a you know a family adventure kind of thing, it's fine. Yeah. I thought it was fine. Like, we would... Just after we came out of the cinema, me and Nick were discussing this, and I said I would give it 5 out of 10. Yeah. Very run-of-the-mill, like... It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Like, it was, it was fine. No. But I think this is. I think the the main com, uh, conversation to be had with it is about the dog. Yeah, the Adam CGI dog. dog, Adam dog, a dog. Yeah. Um. So that was where I like. I found myself laughing at bits that were supposed to be dramatic, and I think. I mean, I don't know. It's because they were trying to overly humanize this dog, but also the score. And the camera movement and everything was so melodramatic and at the end of the day you are watching a CGI dog and it just made me laugh. So yeah. my, this is the thing about humanising a dog because I had similar thoughts when watching it yeah. about dogs don't act its way, this is too human. But then of course... There were a lot of bits like that that actually mm. it was just like the plot wouldn't work without it but it would be so much better if you... Especially like... So Harrison Ford's character like all drinks the alcohol... And, you know, because he's a mourning father, like, oh, that's fine. And the dog's like, oh, no, don't drink alcohol. And keeps taking his alcohol bottles. Like, the dog wouldn't know that. No dog would know that. It's just, what the f- Why? Well, exactly. Well, this is the thing, because then it's like, well, yes, but then if a story... Because if he acted exactly like a real dog, then a lot of the story wouldn't work. And so I was, I was reminded of things like, so, for example, Finding Nemo. Mm. That's not how fishes act. No, but then human- that's... But that's the thing, because that's animation, so we that's give that the say. benefit of a doubt, like we are in a different universe. But, but I think because Call of the Wild is mainly live action, I think that's why it's more incongruous. But also they're trying so hard with the dog and the CGI to be photorealistic that mm. when it does human things or non-dog-like things, it feels even weirder. Yeah. Which is why I said they should either have gone fully, uh, you know, made the whole thing an animation. Like you said, like, you know another Disney Frozen-esque thing where they could have done a full animation and that would have worked a lot better because as we said there's a lot of moments in this that are very cartoonish that are trying to you know make it the more family friendly mm. but they're, they're just they're so different they're so you know out of place in the rest of the world that it just feels silly and stupid and out of place yeah, I found there was a problem specifically with, like, I guess, the weight of the dog. 
Yeah. Like considering it is it's what a Saint Bernard Scotch sheepdog Scotch sheepdog mix. Yeah. Like it's it's an absolutely chunky dog. Yeah, it's like a it's a unit. Like they're yeah. huge dogs. And yet we there are several scenes where it's like bouncing around in sort of quite an elastic, cartoony way. And I'm like, it's it's not it's a massive yeah. dog. It wouldn't be able to jump. Also, like there's there's bits where it's like, oh it, it they just seemingly change its size, strength, energy to just fit whatever the story needs and it's like so inconsistent that annoyed me as well especially when it's with the other dogs which are puma sled yeah uh, is it pack dogs the, yeah yeah the sled dogs yeah. sled dogs that's the word <laughs> of course yeah. <laughs> but um you know we see these other dogs which are like comparatively a normal size I and mean, then this absolute unit and like yes it's a big dog but it's not this much bigger than other sled dogs which are also normally big dogs yeah like the the head of it it's a it's a husky called yeah. spitz yeah. spitz and huskies are, are big dogs. Yeah, and, and he's dog... like what, like you know, half the size again of this yeah. of this dog. And exactly. Like, so he's huge, but then at the same time, it's like the the overhumanization was was bad to the point where they it withdrew from me because at the end of the, like it's an animal. It's supposed to be an animal. There's so many times where he Buck is the dog's name. Mm. I don't think we mentioned that. No. <laughs> Um, but it does these things, or you know, doesn't do something that an animal would just absolutely do. Yes. It's like it is a dog. So there's a bit early on where uh, um, Buck gets kidnapped and he's on a train, and a character threatens to hit him with a stick, and then does hit him with the stick. And I think the dog, you know, he's like growling and barking at him. It's like that dog would just go for you. <laughs> And it's the size, you know, of the train. It could just absolutely have you. Why would it not do that? It's like, oh, because it it's humanising it. It's like, oh, it's teaching it to sit down. It's like, no, you've captured this dog. It would go mental and just rip your throat out. Did you say Buck was the size of a train? Yes. I would love to see a film with, like, a giant train-sized dog terrorising the land. <laughs> be cute yeah what's well, the other thing there, there wasn't there was a lot less than i thought there was like trying to make him really cute like mm. cutesy as well there was one moment where i thought he was gonna do you know the puss in boots thing, massive eyes like, massive eyes but they sort of did that but only for a couple of seconds i was like oh, okay but i thought that was quite good because I, I was sort yeah, of yeah. afraid it would be too much like oh look at the doggy look at yeah, it's, yeah. it's a doggy oh, and i'm glad it didn't go that yeah way. i'm glad it didn't as well because I, I was i was a bit wary of that. Like I thought the whole time it would just be like, oh, look how cute this dog is. Mm. And there was a couple of moments where you're like, oh, that's sweet, but it's still not like... In fact, overall, because I mean, the dog yeah. is the protagonist. Yes. But I, I like that, even though he is like the centre of the film, this, like, this main USP, mm. there's not, there's not too much of just like, they sort of just get on with it in terms of him being the lead protagonist. There's not yeah. as much as I'd feared just general of like, look at him, he's being a dog. Look at him doing dog things. He's sort of like, yeah. that's almost the opposite of the problem. He's too human. He's yeah. just He just yeah, is yeah. a protagonist of a story. Yeah. Also, there was the uh, weird magic black ghost wolf. Yeah. It's a spirit eyes. guide. It's spirit, yeah, but what? <laughs> well, you know, it's I guess that's the, the call. Yeah, sure. Harrison Ford was good. Harrison Ford was good. I mean, I think he was uh, probably the best part of it, actually. You reckon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the CGI was good and Buck was fine, but I feel like he elevated it. Yeah, I mean, I thought there were points where his performance was quite hammy. 
But when he was sending you the, the letter, when he stops the sled to be like, I've got another letter, I felt oh, like he right. wasn't trying in that scene much. Well, Later on, he was fine. Yeah. But in that one, he seemed a bit like, have you got space for one more letter? <laughs> it's yeah. for my son. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Early on, but then later, the more it got yeah. into it, I feel like he was he was very good. Also, he's in remarkably good shape for a seventy year old man. Or almost eighty. Is. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I thought also um, the other thing I want to commend about the film is there's several sequences. Um, there's one in particular of like a, the, when he, there's the sled dogs go off at the night and have basically have a sort of a, um, I guess a dog fight. For but you know for power and you know sort of the yeah the, this it's husky like deciding the alpha isn't yeah. it yeah and the husky competes with Buck and I I found that sequence was actually quite essentially a silent cinema sequence there's no dialogue at all unless you count barking and growling as dialogue but I don't <laughs> but I I thought that was actually because and even though there was a narration going and now they compete to be with was like, yes I know yeah. I got that see that moment. I feel like would have been so much better without the narration, but for me, the narration ruined it. Like you, because you have the the narration was so melodramatic, and then the imagery on the screen was over the top. Like you know, you've got this bit of the dog going in and out. The dog pulls a stupid face, and it's like, oh my god! Yeah. And it just made me laugh because it was so silly. It's okay. like this is supposed to be like a pivotal, pivotal important moment and I was just laughing at it because it was like this is dumb in particular I think the Huskies expressions were the ones that got me the most because yeah. they, they look so comedically evil it's just like come on it's a dog <laughs> you're expecting him to twiddle his moustache genuinely there's points where he's like probably like furrowed his brow and he's got his ears like pointed that reminds me of the dogs in Up yeah 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 actually like, like you know the um, oh I've got my name of that one is it Omega that dog's called the, like the yes. main black one yeah like yeah. It, the same way that's designed with such like sharp points it's sort of like Eve. It's the, it looked like we're trying to do that with a husky but it's a photorealistic husky <laughs> and huskies are adorable yeah also in, the, in that same now we've compared it to Up which just made me think like there are a lot of moments where I feel like the, the writers or you know whoever the directors really wanted the dogs to just talk <laughs> You know, I'm glad they didn't. Though. I'm glad they didn't as well. But it feels like they wanted that a lot. Do you know what I mean? Sort like, of, yeah. Especially when he's doing the pack, and you get the dogs like looking at each other, like, oh, you know, and it's like, are all dogs just super hyper intelligent, regardless of breed? And it's like, oh, and then the narration's like, oh, and now Buck knew more than his owners. It's like, yes, he's, we know. He's a dog. <laughs> but that's, I mean, but then this is going back to like, it's a film about dogs of the protagonist yeah. and kind of like if they were just normal dogs it wouldn't wouldn't work so it's sort of a bit of suspension of disbelief which I don't mind I just I don't know I mean you're you, you are right but I feel like it needed to do more to suspend your disbelief hmm. I, I think like, talking wouldn't have been it but no, that's, well, yeah no like, but I feel like they should have gone completely one way or completely the other where they've got this weird mix yeah sure yeah but I think what I did like about it was the the going out sort of the science and the thing the amount of detail of sort of emotion and communication they could convey with just sort of like facial movements and eyes and stuff on a yeah. dog that was well yeah so i think i guess should, animated should yeah commend how good the cgi was mm. at points there were a couple points where i was it was a bit iffy a bit but... rubbery a bit elastic at points but yeah i think that when it was doing sort of mo- more like realistically doggy things like sitting there yeah. it was great and moments started bouncing onto beds with the yeah. velocity of a bowling ball was a bit more <laughs> bit more hard to believe yeah, I feel like the CGI was amazing, and especially the fur detail. Like, a lot of it, especially towards the end, um, 
Have you seen or, you know, played Red Dead Redemption 2? Because... I've seen someone else playing it. Yeah, like the, you know, they've got like the photorealistic animals and stuff. And sure. it felt like they'd just taken it from there, you know, and spruced it up for a screen. Like it was, it was really, really well done. But it did, did still feel quite video gamey. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's almost going to be something unavoidable about the sort of the video gamey, because especially with like modern photorealistic CGI and video games are essentially the same technology, so they're going to yeah. advance at about the same rate. Yeah. So I feel like that's the video games can look at best like a film and vice versa at any given point. Yeah, from I now think on, you're I right. Whereas I feel like the the animals in Red Dead Redemption two uh, feel a lot more in place because because think, the humans and the, yeah. the whole world is computer generated exactly because it's a consistent the same way with animation when it's all consistent yeah, yeah, yeah. you just go with it but when there's two different styles going on at once yeah. it's more hard to believe which does bring us you know should have this should this have just been animated then well maybe as an adaptation of a story but i think it's clear overall this the whole point of this film was to try out whether a cg dog could work the whole thing because yeah. because the backstory to all this was I think it was I think it's called a dog's purpose. It was a film that came out about 2017, 2018. and there was some oh. behind the scenes footage of them forcing a, a dog into water when it didn't want to go. Uh, and there's a lot of animal rights got behind this, um, saying you know we shouldn't force dogs and other animals to do this kind of thing on film. And it's like why can't you just CGI it? So I think this entire film was a response to be like okay, well let's let's see what happens when we try to do a film about a dog. We'll take a, an old, tried and tested book yeah. that's famous and been done hundreds of times. So we've got the story and we'll just do it with a CGI dog. Mm. See what happens. And I think that's the... That's, and that, as, as that, it's it's fine. It's a, it's a good experiment, but I don't think it's got much more to it than that. Yeah. I feel like this film will be forgotten very quickly. Yes. I think this is almost... A, a, this, this is for the, the filmmakers as much as it was for an audience, just to see, like, yeah. does it work? I feel like it does work, yeah. and I feel like that's the future uh, over animal cruelty. Obviously, yeah. like as a proof of concept, I think it's good. Yeah, I and think there the... were there were some good merits in the film. Like a lot of the sledding stuff was good. I thought, mm, other thing... than the stupid avalanche scene, but we'll get onto that. Oh, will we? Yeah, we will. <laughs> get onto it now if you want. Well, the stupid avalanche <laughs> scene, Nick. It was dumb. It was oh god. Basically, they they're going over. You know what? I don't know what it is like a snow plane, and then suddenly there's an avalanche starts coming down from the mountain, and the driver, who, is, shouting, "Oh, go left, go left!" and Buck sees his spooky ghost wolf friend, and goes right instead. He goes right, and it takes him into a cave under the mountain, presumably safe from the avalanche. Although the avalanche just follows them through, and Buck has to crash through a load of sharp icicles. But, and is completely fine. That's fine. Anyway, when they get out of the cave of safety, where are they? Still in looming threat of the avalanche. <laughs> it feels like if they'd just gone left the whole time, they would have been completely fine. <laughs> and it was so dumb because it's such forced like drama. But then how are they going to sell what is clearly going to be the new Disneyland called The Wild Ride, where you get yeah. taken by sled dogs, not real sled dogs, but like, it'll be like a sort of a Star Tours style yeah. Simulation thing where they like. I, I, I watched that scene and I was like, this is, I can see it on an advertising now being like, come to Disneyland Florida yeah. where you can experience the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that did feel a bit. It just felt so. It did feel like, artificial, yeah, yeah. Like it's sort of just shoved in there. But also, like, 
But it's also it's the call of the wild. Well, it's, his, yeah. it's his instinct showing him the way through peril, but not really. But not really, because <laughs> yeah. it just takes him slightly out of peril and then back into the peril <laughs> when you could have... Been... As the frying pan into the same frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could have just been out of the way the entire time, but it's like, nope. <laughs> okay. Also, the... He's... Again, well, this is another problem with how strong is Buck, because... He just smashes through these icicles and ice sheets and frozen lakes like they're nothing. <laughs> you know, he just has absolutely no problem. But then when one human holds a rope around his neck, he seemingly cannot move. <laughs> and it's like in the scene previous to that, he is tied to a plank, you know, with screws in the wall. And he just pulls the screws out of the wall and is fine. And then the scene following that, some chump in a pub <laughs> just holds him back and, and then they're called but... saloons <laughs> well yeah and he can't do anything it's like so again just inconsistency hmm. inconsistency is just annoying again i've said i've liked it and spent the entire time slagging well, it off well, yeah. <laughs> i mean i think the merits of the film in terms of it's clearly a sort of a indestructible story that's lasted all this time you know has that sort yes. of appeal so i think the reason story works is because it's it is just a good, good source material. Yeah. I think it is well, well made and well directed. Yeah, there was no like there was. The problems I have with it aren't aren't story based, aren't no. direction based. I mean, there's a couple of acting things. It's, but... just, it's mainly sort of just execution of yeah. the dog. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that's just inconsistency with the mm. CGI over anything else. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I th- I thought it was it was good overall. Yeah. I thought it was fine. I think it's not. Not really like you know a must see at all, but if no. you've got if you've got some kids and you want to take them, it's a fun afternoon out. Yeah, and I think if you're interested in sort of the progress of CG animation and stuff, it's also yeah. worth looking to see where we're at. See, see, now if like this compared to the Lion King, mm. this feels a lot more like this is where it's should be used. Yes, because they're replacing a dog. You know, for the animal cruelty reasons, and because like the CGA dog works better than a real dog would have in some cases here, whereas in Lion King it's just a load of old bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but then it's also interesting that this is one CG character, um, but but we both well, I, don't, I can't remember if you liked it or not, but um, the Jungle Book where I that's one it, yes. human character and everything else is CGI, and that's live action inverted commas. Mm. Yeah, wow. I mean, I yeah, we've gone back to this book. point because we both get triggered. Well, I mean, I think the other thing as well is because the, the Jungle Book is again that's originally a novel, nothing to do with Disney, and the the Disney yeah. animation was just but one adaptation. While the the new that one did true. it did the same story but did something new with it, it did a yeah. new direction, and they changed it and they expanded yeah. on some bits. Unlike the Lion King, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons. So the Lion King, if they're gonna do it photorealistic, do something different. Do it could do it like Call of the Wild, the the silent se- uh, sequences. Yeah. just have no dialogue, no singing, just have the drum play out like a realistic like animal just with growls and stuff. Make it a silent film if you're going to go that route. Mm. But just taking the, the exact same script as before and then just changing the animation. Yeah. That's what annoys me about it because that's a pointless, that's such a waste of resources. Do something interesting. But I think that's why The Lion King rubbed us up the wrong way so much while Jungle mm. Book was okay. Yeah. All right, awesome. tell me about Underwater then. Okay, so Underwater, uh, which is directed by William Eubank, and starring Kristen Stewart and uh, Vincent Cassell of uh, La Haine. Really? Yeah. 
I didn't know he was in that film. Yeah, he's, he's in a lot of stuff. It's also got, um, uh, is it TJ? TJ Miller, yeah. yes, which I've heard there's a controversy yeah, about there him on there. Because yeah. uh, basically, this film was shot in, I think, 2017. Oh, and then because it? of the whole um, Fox and Disney merger has been yeah. on hold for ages. So what's this pre this is his scandal then? It must have been shot before that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's... So, so I think his scandal was that he just got... He was an alcoholic. He's an alcoholic or something like that, and he keeps showing up drunk on set All right. to like Deadpool and stuff. Okay, because I sort of I yeah. while looking researching this film, I did see occasional things being like, "Oh, it's interesting that T.J. Miller's in this film after the incident." I was like, "The what?" And I didn't actually get around well, to researching. That's what I've heard about. I don't know if there's anything else, yeah. but but I feel like if he did something major, they wouldn't have released the film. Yeah, that's probably fair. So I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting that this is the last film with the 20th Century Fox logo. Yeah. Unlike Call of the Wild, which I don't know if you noticed, had 20th Century Studios, yes, which is the new Disney yes. sort of hands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basic plot. I mean, it's been described as wet alien in that it's alien but set underwater. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, wet alien. Like yeah. It. Um, I mean, so, so uh, yeah, the plot is... Moist. <laughs> moist alien. <laughs> I have also someone. Some people have said it's actually close to the descent, but I haven't seen the descent, so I can't okay. say I either way. Either. Yep. In fact, for me, it reminded me of Wet Inferno, the old Dot Two story. Not called Inferno, not <laughs> not Wet Inferno. <laughs> wet Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the plot is basically there's a there's a big deep sea like sort of mining rig yep. in the Mariana Trench. They're trying to drill into the Earth's crust and find. Well, that's the thing. I'm not sure if they actually specified what's they're searching for, than just you know. Adventure. <laughs> Expl- yeah, I'm presuming there's some resource. You know what they're searching for, Nick? What? The Call of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to find it down there. Um, but which is why it reminded me of Inferno, because that also dealt with a super deep borehole into the Earth's crust that results in alien nastiness. Um, alien nastiness? Nastiness. <laughs> alien Nazis. <laughs> Anyway, continue. Yeah, please get on. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so, of course, the, the horrors of building a, a deep underwater platform is there's a lot of pressure. And guess what happens? They break? Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, quite abruptly, it's interesting, the film begins, and mm. we have, I think, I'd say two minutes, maybe three tops of Kristen Stewart just sort of wandering about, brushing her teeth, and then everything explodes. Okay. And, yeah. So basically, the whole the whole base is sort of complete. You know, getting crushed and compromised, and there's only about I think of three hundred crew. There's about f- I think there's six of them left, and it's like right, we've got to get out of here before we. Die. You know, there's some escape pods over on this separate site. We've got to get out of this base, cross the ocean floor on foot, and escape. Okay. So that's the basic plot. It's that very... does sound a lot like aliens. Yeah. Well, well and alien. I suppose, mm. Well, it's closer to alien in that sense. We've got this sort of these this sort of main characters on this sort of isolated on its rig of mm. some kind and it's like you know there's no uh, unlike so you know in Alien there's a big thing about like they're basically space truckers and the sort of the glorification of space travel is normalised it's just this is their job and the same way there's no sort of like oh look how cool it is we're underwater it's like this is our job we're underwater we're technicians we're engineers yeah. and it, there's that so there's that kind of vibe to it and it is I mean it is essentially a horror film and essentially a slasher film in the way that we've got a main cast that gets whittled down in fact, actually, it reminds me, in some ways, of Sunshine, 
well, I don't know if you've seen the Danny Boyle film. I've seen bits of that film. Yeah. I haven't seen the whole thing, but yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. But in that, it's because in Sunshine, the sort of the conceit of it, at least as far as I can tell, was it was a slasher film where the killer was simply the hostility of space travel mm. until at least the weird Freddy Krueger monster appears and starts killing people, which is when it officially lost me. Which is an interesting comparison to Underwater because it starts with just the horrors of underwater exploration, but yeah. you know, people being killed by pressure locks and failing suits. And then creatures show up, mm. which I think the main, so my main thing in the film is it sort of gets weaker as it goes along. Because when it starts and it's just simply like, you know, maybe making a really deep undersea platform is a terrible idea and, it, you know, yeah. inherently flawed. But then it's like, oh, and here's some weird alien creatures. And it's like, well, okay. I get, because obviously there's this whole thing about, and it's going back to the cosmic horror thing about we're on the bottom of the ocean floor. We don't know what's down there. Fine. But consider... What's going to be on the bottom of the ocean floor? What are they going to look like? What incredible, you know, indes- indescribable designs are going to have? Oh, they're basically just human things. Are they? Well, you've seen, you've seen the trailer, I've haven't seen, you? Well, I've seen the trailer, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they're only in the trailer very briefly. But it's fashion. You know, they've got a head and a torso and they've got two arms of things. They're basically humanoid. Oh, they I thought they were like big squid boys with mouths. No, well, no. There's, there's a sort of like a sore squid baby they find briefly. What? <laughs> like, it's the, ba- the baby form of them, and we see, like, the adult form. Which is basically so I like thought human. they were, like, huge. Are they not big? They're just... No, like... there's, they're normal human-sized. Um, I'll, I'll get back to that uh, a bit later. Okay. But so, yeah. So, in, so that's basically that's the film conceptually. And in terms of what I found sort of wrong with it, because mm. at first I thought, okay, it's interesting. it wastes no time getting started. Like, it's, it's straight in there. It's like, right, here's our character's here's the peril therein. It's a very sort of... So going back to what I was saying about The Shadows back in my blog about when you've got a sort of a horror, horror survival film, we don't need deep backstory to understand why they want to survive and escape alive. It's a pretty straightforward thing. Sense, yeah. So I liked that it sort of got into it. But the problem is there's still... I think there's too little of it in the sense that we don't... There's no... equal no characterization. Well, there's no characterization, but it's also like we don't see what life was like before everything went to shit. Which you do in Alien. Yeah, in Alien, there's a yeah. solid hour before anything really happens. So we get to see what their lives are just like normally. Yeah. So we don't, we, you know, the, the emotional weight of something like this is from seeing them in the, the relatively, like, in their natural state. I mean, yeah. everything goes wrong. Uh, but this one, things go wrong so quickly. We don't have any reference. You know, for as far as the audience is concerned, our entire point of reference for their world is this. Yeah. So that's just bad pacing then, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, essentially... Well, that's the thing. This is interesting because the trailer, I think it's just the way it's edited, but it implies that there's a bit, we see them enter the base and stay for a while before things go wrong. I couldn't find anything about it being cut online, but it does feel, because it's also just about 90 minutes, it feels like there is like a first act that's just missing. Okay. Which I think would have made it a stronger film, because it would have given that extra bit of context that might have made it work a bit better. Um... So yeah, so going back to the monsters, uh, one of the things about them is, the mo- as I was saying, like they're, they're basically humanoid. I think it's really rubbish that they could have done anything with design, and I went for that. I mean, sky's the limit, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then here's, going back to your thing about cosmic horrors, this is essentially, this is cosmic horror. Well, yeah. Um, you know, this is the the horror of what is down there, that we can, po- you know, anything could be living that deep in the yeah. sea, and we'll be so weird in its design I mean, it would essentially be alien yeah I mean how, uh, I mean half of what Lovecraft writes about is, is from the sea because he was 
for that exact reason. Exactly. It's like no one knows what's down there because because you know they find Cthulhu under the sea. Yeah. Dagon's under the sea. Loads of these big spooky boys are from under the sea because he was obviously terrified of of that exact concept okay. as of what you're describing. So this is going to be a bit of a spoiler. So if you do care yeah. too much underwater, scribble forward ahead. I'll put a time code in the video now. Um, but yeah. So here's the interesting thing. The creatures in this are supposed to be deep ones. Really? Yeah, I was reading about this. The director William Eubank said the creatures, the main creatures are supposed to be deep ones. They're supposed the... to be as in yes. Lovecraftian and... deep ones. Because you mentioned there is a big one at the end, which yeah. apparently is a spoiler because it wasn't in the trailers from what I can tell. That's Cthulhu. Cthulhu what? just shows up at the end. <laughs> That's, yes. This is... What? But this is, exactly. This is, this is... Like I this I don't know if it's worth a whole spoiler corner, but like it's, this this is the thing I don't get about it is that we have this sort of relatively grounded like oh yeah it's just because I thought it would just be like you know I it's just the water <laughs> crushing everything I thought it'd be cool if we had just the suggestion that maybe there's something out there or maybe it's simply you know the the, the horror of even knowing if that's what's the problem but like oh no Cthulhu just sort of shows up and do they say it, name it. No, they don't. This, I had to look it up. and They the, don't directly say, oh, no. that's good. But I thought, hmm, he looks a bit like Cthulhu. And I was going to, I researched it because I was like, I might mention this in the podcast. Mm. And then I saw, yeah, it, it, Eubank was like, yes, it is supposed to be Cthulhu. What? <laughs> Why? But that's, but that's the thing. But also, I mean, I know we we have imagery of Cthulhu. Well, so the deep like... ones aren't from Cthulhu, they're from Dagon. So he's what got that wrong. That's what I, thought. I was like, surely, I thought deep ones were the whole um, Innsmouth rather than Cthulhu, separate yeah, yeah. Well, mythologies, Dagon, yeah. yeah. So deep ones praise Dagon, who yeah. is like the god of, you know. Well, that's what whatever. I thought. Um, and they just stick Cthulhu in it and have yeah. a nice time. And also, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's so random. But here's, here's the thing guess what they do with Cthulhu in the end? What? They nuke him. <laughs> <laughs> Because he starts, so they get to this other drill, and, and they send basically of the three escape pods left, only two are functional. So oh, Kristen Stewart obviously. sends those two off, and then she's just got Cthulhu breaking to the base, and so she sets the nuclear reactor to go into meltdown, and just nukes Cthulhu. Does it kill Cthulhu? Apparently. Well, it shouldn't. That's the, that's the thing, because we have this massive explosion, and then it cuts to like sort of newspaper bits being like, oh, two survivors from the um, project, whatever it's called, mining site, uh, but the CCTV's been confiscated, and then it's just credits, and like, what, you cut right, but you can't, <laughs> you can't just nuke Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's someone who clearly hasn't understood. Yeah, that's someone who's seen the imagery of Cthulhu and is like, that looks cool, I mean, that's let's fine. use like, it, yeah, use but it without it. knowing what it is. I feel like they've sort of got away with it by not directly saying, yeah. this is Cthulhu and Lovecraftian, but that is someone who's obviously misunderstood what Cthulhu inherently is. And here's the thing as well, because Cthulhu, at least the, this version of it, still looks like a person. He's got like a face and a body and he, he looks like this. And he sort of wades into the base. The wings? No, he's got a lot of tentacles-ish. Right. But like, I mean, there's, it's... But that's why I don't get like... So we're going to cosmic horror, the whole thing is it's indescribable. It, it yeah. just looks so bizarre. Well, it, to, to be fair, Cthulhu is one of the only Elder Gods or, you know, one of the only things Lovecraft does actually describe. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that has got the imagery attached to it. But then, which is fine, but like, why would you then redesign, even do your own monster that's all like in its own way bizarre and uncanny, yeah. or don't design it to look based like a massive man? Yeah, that's. Which I found really lazy and it's sort of strange. I felt 
it was leaning to towards the sort of like the generic horror films where it's like sort of like yeah. they look more like ghouls kind of thing rather than like you know underwater creatures um but yeah also talking about the ending it's sort of it's as i was saying like it's so abrupt it comes out of nowhere and like so the main character presumably dies yeah, and it's like, oh, well, now we would like some context to know a bit more about you, but no, okay, no, okay. and then straight to credits, no, no real sort of like you know concluding act or sort of outro, so okay, yeah, but so just quickly, what do you think of what did what was Christian's here like? Was she good? I thought she was really good actually. Yeah, yeah. I thought she, you know, she's essentially the Ripley character. Yeah, but I think she's you know she's stoic, but she's still got plenty. You know, she she's not too tough. She's not too totally Mary Sue. She is just like you know. She's scared, but she's level-headed. You know, she's yeah. you know she's got she is emotional, but not too much. You know, yeah. See, I quite like Christian Stewart. Yeah, I think, I think she's, she's actually. I think Twilight's done her badly. She's actually. She yeah. seems like quite a good actress. I've seen her in. Yeah. I think Into the Wild as well. Talking the wild. It's a lot of wild <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. But yeah, she's a good actor, and I think yeah. So overall, it's a film. It's 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 not a bad film. It's it's enjoyable, and I mean it's definitely it's really well made. Like the production design is on point, and the you know. I, as a concept, with a few tweaks and just I, you know, I think the the monsters and the creatures shouldn't not be in it, but I think they should be reduced and made more yeah sort of vague. So do you like the the aesthetic of it? Yes, because one of the the best things I think of the Lovecraftian world is the aesthetic. Where that's a big draw to me is that the of the aesthetic of it, and I think. Also, it's interesting that they've gone for that kind of thing, but not sold it as that because that's such a yeah. good IP with mm. such a massive fan base behind it. You think they'd jump on that straight away, but I think the, I, I, I might I might be tactical though, because considering how yeah. surface level it is, it's yeah. like they've you know I feel like if Lovecraftian fans watched it wanting a Lovecraft film, they'd be slightly pissed off to say yeah. the least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. it's it's well. It's the, what I think it is. It's the seed of a great idea. Right. What I want is I want to see more films like this, but just stronger and all these yeah. sort of things. That I, I think because you know, underwater is such a great setting. As in, not the film. The, yeah, set, yeah, yeah, the yeah. setting being underwater, like yeah. deep. It's you know, it's basically well, the same space. Yeah, but well, I was going to say like, you've played Subnautica. I've seen you play. You've it. seen me play. I'm terrified fans. of that game. Yeah, but that game to me is incredible because there is nothing scarier to me than that vast huge emptiness of the the water that anything could be in yeah and realistically be in whereas the space you know it's Empty. the vacuum yeah but also nothing can survive in it that's yeah whereas the water everything does live in it exactly. that just that's what terrifies me you know we've got the, the same sort of differences of pressure as a as a as an enemy in space it's lack of pressure and water is too much of it but anyway sort of the same result but we've also got the knowledge that there are things out there in the water when space it is empty. Mm. So I think less as much as I love space films, less films in space, more films underwater, especially sort of horror-y sci-fi things. I think underwater <laughs> things work better as a game though. Well, I, mean, I, mean, well, I, I don't know I mean, I necessarily, think... and that might just be from the lack of films, but some water is, is brilliant. I would say it's a lack of films, because I think I mean that's a I think that's more that horror works better as a game because of the interactiveness, I'd say. Yeah. But it's not just the I mean, you could, you could. It's not just the um, horror elements that makes Subnautica so good. You know, it's it's the different. You know, the vibrancy of some parts of the ocean versus the 
emptiness of other parts, and I think that works really well. Whereas space is just just empty. Yeah. Un- underwater is a bit different. Well, I, I don't know. Like I maybe I should see it. Although I think I think it's worth a look. Cause it's, yeah. yeah. It's again, it's not. A, it's no by no means a bad film. I enjoyed it, but I do think it definitely it, it loses you as it goes along. Yeah. But I think with with a few tweaks, it could be like a really solid horror sci-fi film. Were there any moments where you were like, "This is shit"? <laughs> Mainly when I the first time it like you properly see one of the deep ones. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay, it's that film." You know, I was like, mm. "It's like I thought this was being really interesting and sort of different." It's like, "Oh, we've we've gone to sort of generic twenty tens horror schlock." Yeah. And just from a design aspect, I just felt it was yeah. That's the main. Thing. I think the creature design is what lets it down the most. Right. And also just the presence of him at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's... I feel like you've got to go with... Well, not one or the other, but... Like in, in Alien, you're never... out of The space itself isn't a massive threat, is it? No. Whereas the alien always is. Like, the space is there, and obviously it's eventually the thing that kills the alien... With the, fr- the with the thruster as well, you know what I mean. I mean, that's, I think you're, you're reaching a bit there. But it's not an enemy itself, is it? No, it's just sort of a. It's an environment. It's, an it's, a, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sort of a way of entrapping someone in a sort of in a situation. Yeah. Because the in that the space serves as well, you know, space no one can hear you scream like they cannot get any help. Like that's the. That's the, yeah. The yeah. Draw. That's what makes the space scary. Not it's the alien itself is where the horror lies, though, isn't it? Yeah, but well, I think in underwater, I think there's enough sort of threat from the water, being underwater itself that you could, mm. that could have just survived as the threat in itself. But again, like I like the the idea of a threat of a monster without ever clearly seeing it or knowing how much impact it's having. Yeah. I think it's all where the, the true sort of potential in this idea lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cosmic horror. That's cosmic horror. Did it do? Cool. Um, Take away. Yeah. Fundamentals. Should we do a fundamental? Yeah. Well, I've got one. So, have you seen? Well, you must have seen Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. I've seen all of them except that. No, of course I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And have you read the book? Yes, once a a while ago. Okay. Well, I've read the book a fair a couple of times. A couple of hundred times. Yeah, a couple hundred times. Whatever. I've seen the film. I don't know once or twice. Um. There's a bit at the end of that film that really, really annoys me because it completely changes Harry Potter as a character. Like, just completely changes him, like, every aspect... Not every aspect, but his core being is completely changed by the adaptation into film. And before we continue, is this a spoiler for Harry Potter? Yes, it's a huge spoiler, but if you haven't seen it... How? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we've got to make sure... So, just a bit of context. At the end, it's literally, I don't know, must be the last 20 minutes of the film, last few chapters of the book. Harry and Dumbledore have just got back from trying to find a Horcrux. Dumbledore's all weakened. They go up to the... They, they, in the book... Astronomy Tower. Yeah, in the book, they fly up to the Astronomy Tower on broomsticks. And in the film, they apparate up there. Wait, does Dumbledore have a broom, broomstick? Yeah, they borrow them from uh, Madame Ross Merton. I can't imagine Dumbledore on a broomstick. Well, he is. Okay. <laughs> Must be more sprightly in the book. Yeah. Anyway, they're up there. And so this is, is Dumbledore's 
death, basically, is what this is all leading up to. Now, in the book, so I'll go through the book first, and I'll change, tell you how the film changes it, and, in my opinion, ruins it, right? So in the film, they fly up to the top of the tower because they see the dark mark, and the dark mark means someone's been murdered. So Dumbledore's like, shit the bed, let's get up there, right? They fly up there, Harry's fine, Dumbledore's like, you know, because he's drunk this potion, he's all poisoned and horrible, he's also got the He's (laughs) shit-faced. He's got his cursed arm, which is, you know, very, very close to killing him, right? He's dying anyway. But he's up the top of the tower, right? Uh, when Draco Malfoy comes in with his wand out, like, and Dumbledore has a split second, he can either disarm Draco or save Harry. He chooses to save Harry. So Harry's under the invisibility cloak and uh, Dumbledore freezes him in place, you know, so he can't do anything. He then proceeds, Harry then proceeds to watch Draco and all the other Death Eaters come up and eventually watches Snape kill Dumbledore, right? And Harry, the whole time, because obviously you get the insight into his head, is, you know, screaming, trying everything. He can't move. He just has to watch his mentor, his father figure, get killed, you know? And that's terrible and very traumatic for him, and he cannot do anything about it. In the film! (laughs) Right? And this is where it really annoys me, because it just completely changes it. In the film, they apparate in, right... Dumbledore's just like, oh, someone's coming. Harry, fuck off downstairs, yeah? And Harry's like, oh, It's okay. a very streetwise adaptation of Dumbledore, you feel like. Or Harry, mate, fuck <laughs> off down there. But he's like, you just do as exactly as I say, yeah? Just go downstairs and don't move. Stay quiet. Okay? So Harry goes downstairs and the same thing happens. Draco comes back up with his wand out. And now here's the first difference, which is to Dumbledore. Dumbledore gets his wand out. Draco just disarms him but Dumbledore doesn't have the uh, choose Harry or Draco now he could have just instantly murdered Draco not murdered well, you know yeah. stopped him he's supposedly the greatest <laughs> wizard of all time like he could have just stopped him with ease because now he hasn't got the choice of protect or you know harm right so that's one but that's the minor one the other thing is Harry's seen someone he hates because he hates Malfoy. It's been his really, but they didn't come across. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very it's subtle. Been his, really. his enemy since the first book and film. Harry still has his wand. In fact, there is a shot in that in that scene of Harry pointing his wand at Draco, but not doing anything. <laughs> if you saw someone. Pointing a gun at your dad, and you had a gun in your hand. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> but also, then, Harry, Harry's not frozen in place. Yeah, he's, he's, free, can, to he's free to move. He's free to speak. He's free to cast spells. He's free to do anything. But right? Dumbledore said not to. Exactly. And then Snape comes up the stairs. Snape, who, you know, he's like. Snape even speaks to Harry and he's like, oh, shush, don't move. And Harry's like, okay, well, Dumbledore's already said that, but, you know. And then Snape goes up there. He then witnesses Snape, another person who he despises, kill Dumbledore, and he does nothing again. He does nothing. He just sort of (laughs) shuffles like, oh, oh, no. But he has the power to stop him. And it's like they fundamentally change it because Harry 
in the book at least, is described as like trying with every fibre of his being to protect Dumbledore, to save Dumbledore, to do anything he possibly can to help. And in the film, he's just stood there like a fucking tit doing nothing. And it just changes it because Harry's no longer brave or the one who's like, oh yeah, I saw Dumbledore get killed because I couldn't protect him. I couldn't do anything. In the film, he's just like, oh yeah, I saw Dumbledore get killed because lol, he told me not to help. Ha. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, that is a fundamental change. That's a fundamental change. But they continue it. There's also an even bigger fundamental change. But I'll do that. I'll do oh, that. So I'll do that next week. week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In the seventh book, there's loads of differences in the books to the films of Harry Potter. But then I just wanted to discuss with you why do you think they made that change? That's an interesting point. I, I have a I have a theory. You have a theory. Go on. Say your theory. So in the book, he puts the cloak on him, and then freezes him in place, right? Whereas. In the film, he's just under the stairs. So we can see the reaction shots of Harry as you see all of this unfold. So you get that identifiable character reacting to what's on there, which is hinting to what the audience should be reacting the same in the same way. But, I mean, that changes things. But then with that, with tons of, like... Because we've seen shots in other points of the films where of Harry under the invisibility cloak. And mm. it's, it's not like you can do a reaction shot of Harry just under the cloak. Well, because he's, because he's frozen, it freezes your face as well. So oh. so he literally can't make a reaction face. That, that That's, that's mm. why I think they did do it. But then, you, you, I mean, you could have some losers that say, like, maybe just his face, like, just his eye. Just, like, a widening of the pupils could be enough to yeah. just, like, you know. Exactly. You could see anything. I, mean, but, I but can imagine like a shot where we that. see like his hands or like froze. We see it's like just like shake slightly as it's trying to move. It just won't. Yeah. And we see that sort of frustration. I feel like it could be com- it could be conveyed. It could it could be done. Yeah. But they didn't do it. Yeah. But the other thing is in the in the book he's literally right next to Dumbledore, like you know a foot away from him. He he is so close to him and he can't do anything about it. Whereas in the in the film he's a story below, you know, and he's a story below and he's looking up at him. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that, that's it. It's like, but they've added that distance and I don't know why. Like, in the book, it's so much more impactful because he's so close but can't do anything. He feels so trapped and it's so powerful that, you know, he can't do anything about it and you've just got to watch as he, as Dumbledore dies. And it's like, that's so strong. But I just don't know why they yeah. change it and it's annoying and it's just a terrible choice in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think it's entirely just? I, I mean, I can't, I can't think of any other reason other than they have they have to have a reaction shot from Harry, mainly because, I mean, what? Why wouldn't you? In in everything else, you'd have that reaction shot, wouldn't you? Yeah, I feel like there could be some interesting like, if you had the way you could block it in such a way that Harry's sort of like. So we have like, say, from behind Dumbledore, Harry's in the foreground and the action in the background. We do some sort of like combination of like a pull focus as well as sort of fading in the invisibility cloak. Yeah. I, like, I, I just feel like the way they... Obviously doing an, something, an invisibility cloak is a hard thing to pull off yeah. and have to look good. And they, they they sort of give up after the third film, you know, because it's like, hmm. you know... But it's he uses it all the time, like the invisibility cloak in the books, and they sort of fade it out in the in the uh, films a, a bit. But in yeah, in the sixth one, he... 
you know, he has the invisibility cloak, and it's like that would be. I I know, like that, that would be a hard thing to show on screen and have look good. Mm. But the point is, like, there's so many different ways, like, there's so many options of, especially in such a CG heavy kind of like effects heavy film. There are many ways they could do that in an interesting way. Yeah. So they have the budget. Like, I feel like they could have made that work and be more impactful. Mm. And the point is that, you know, because subjectively the audience knows about the invisibility cloak and knows that Harry's there. So it wouldn't hurt the immersion to see, like, essentially see him there in the invisibility cloak. And, yeah. like, you know, you know know that he's not visible to everyone else, but see him in the cloak and sort of work that out. Yeah. Anyway, that's about as much as I've got to say about that. Yeah. Oh, that was, a, that was an intense one. <laughs> but there's, there's more that I've got to say about that, especially the last uh, Harry Potter film. And so is this this whole thing about changing Harry's character specifically from being brave sort of a bystander? Is that a common yeah. theme in these changes? Yes. Well, it's not just that. They, yes, but they they make Harry in in the films a lot more unlikable. I mean, like in the in the books, he is endlessly brave. You know, he's endlessly brave, but also he's compassionate. Well, I don't want to say because the the other fundamental change is a really big one that. You know, ruins his character. I think a bit, but literally in the final scene of the final book, you know, like the battle scene, there's a big change there. Oh I, yes, I, I vaguely know what he's talking about. Um, I'll be from another episode. Then. Yeah. yeah, but um, I just feel like it changed because Harry, the one thing you assign him to is is bravery. You know, that is it's his Gryffindor, exactly his Gryffindor. That is his defining characteristic. Is he's always brave. He never. Even, fight. Exactly, Voldemort, who is basically wizard Hitler, he still will face him one on one because he he is brave. He will do that all the time, and in this he just doesn't. But that just changes him so much because that just why should he be a Gryffindor? Why should he be there? Why would anyone not want to go run in and protect? Yeah, what is he? A Hufflepuff? Yeah, <laughs> kind of some kind of chump. <laughs> Oh. Okay, so that's about it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Cine Rambles with Nick and Andrew. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cineramblesofficial and on Twitter at cinerambles. And for more content, you can read the blog over at cinerambles.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can send us an email at cinerambles at gmail.com and you might even get read out on the show. So, you got any closing remarks? Oh, yeah, I would like to say that we're now on Spotify. We are now on Spotify, yes. Which we weren't before. No, that's a new development. So yeah, that's good. Just search Cine Rambles We're downloadable on the podcast. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so you can hear us offline. Yeah. We're everywhere. You can't get rid of us. <laughs> uh, so Nick, have you got any closing remarks? Wizard Hitler and alien Nazism. <laughs> good night. <laughs> <laughs>